Thank you. Please have a seat. We are today actually going to conclude a series uh, that we called Identity Theft. Oh, thank you so much. Wow. Oh, here, let's do it together. Because, uh, <laughs> Uh, identity theft, and you know, identity theft, I mean, that's a big thing. In fact, some of you have probably been maybe a victim of that, okay? And, you know, as bad as financial identity theft is, there's something that's a lot worse than that, and that's spiritual identity, identity theft. And, you know, we as Americans, we have so much, but we don't have a lot of peace, and a lot of people are really struggling with their identity, have no sense of self-worth or value. And today we want to find out who we are, who we truly are, our true identity. The problem is we have enemies of our soul, the world of flesh, the devil, uh, God said. Enemies of our soul, of our eternal soul that want to rob us of our identity is a child of God and as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to, today we're, we've talked about different myths, and today, today we're going to talk about the one that is probably the one that I struggle with the most. And maybe you do too. And here's the myth. I am what I do. I am what I do. Uh, so, many, so many of us believe that. I am what I do. And in fact, <laughs> the uh, smartest man that ever lived, uh, according to God, was a man named Solomon. And Solomon, for all his wisdom, all his intelligence, he fell into that trap of believing that he was, uh, that he was, the, that he was what he did. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Ecclesiastes is kind of a... A, a journal of his life, okay? And this tells us how he was feeling at this stage of his life. Solomon started out great. Asked God for wisdom because he knew he wasn't capable of being king on his own. He started out great, but he didn't stay that way. He got, he fell into the trap. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, I got to the point where my heart took delight in what? In all my work, in the things I did. And this was the reward for all my labor. In other words, you know, he's thinking, he looked around and said, man, look what I've done. Uh, Solomon built buildings that would make Trump Tower look like a shack. Uh, he had more money than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and others combined. He ruled the what was at that point in time the most powerful empire in the world. And Solomon's looking around saying, hey, I'm the man. But then there's a big gap, a big time frame between chapter verse 10 and verse 11. What did he say in verse 11? Yet... But when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I toiled so hard to achieve, everything was what? It was meaningless. It didn't give me the fulfillment and meaning that I thought it would. It was, 
a chasing after the wind. When you were a kid, you ever chased the wind? You know, did you ever try to grab the wind? What'd you end up with? Nothing. And that's what he's saying. This most intelligent man, he fell into the trap of believing, I am what I do. And he says here that when I did, when I fell in that pit, he said, then all the awesome blessings that God gave me turned into awful burdens. And, and friend, I, I think that's an apt description of a lot of American Christians. We are so blessed. And what are all those blessings? They turn into awful burdens. When we believe the lie that I am what I do today, we're like Solomon. We're tempted to find our true identity in several things. I'm going to mention four of them. One, in what we have accomplished. Now, do you know when that starts? It starts when you're four or five years old. Uh, I bet some of you were awarded best colorer in, in pre-K, right? Anybody here? I, I can't put my hand up. It certainly wasn't me. You know, how many of you got a perfect attendance award anytime? Come on, come on, let's, all right, good. How many of you got a citizenship award of some kind, you know? How many of you went to Boy State or Girl State or whatever? You got perfect, how many of you won a spelling bee? Yeah. Penmanship? Oh my goodness. All right. So, so what happened? I mean, you're four years old. You start feeding your self-worth on what you, what you did, what you accomplished. Now, how many of you went to high school where they did that? I don't know if they do that anymore. But in high school, and it showed up in the yearbook, best looking. <laughs> most likely to succeed. All right? Now, I can... Just looking around, I can see we have quite a few that got best looking. All right? We didn't like you. All right? So it's, it's just a fact, okay? Uh, how many, did you ever get, uh, um, well, what, uh, well, let's go on. All right, I'm, I'm getting in trouble here, all right? Anybody here got most likely to get to mess up everything? Yeah, I see. in fact, it seems to be more in that category. Okay, we grew out of that, right? Mm -mm, I don't think so. So now, okay, if you're an adult, if you're a worker, if you're the top producer in your company, oh man, I mean, you feel like a winner. But if you never get that, you feel like a loser. If you get a promotion, you feel, oh, well, man, <laughs> they really need me. I'm really important to the company. But what happens if you don't get the promotion? You feel like a nobody. And see, most of us, are, we're tempted, we're pressured to feel that our identity is based on what we've accomplished. That starts when it's a kid when we're kids, and it, and it doesn't stop just because you're an adult. Now, parents and grandparents, I, 
I just want to warn you about something, okay? We as parents will be, are tempted to use our kids to increase our self-esteem. Without even realizing it, we can try to use what our kids accomplish to make us feel better about ourselves. You've seen the bumper sticker, you know, my kid is an honor student at Harvard University or whatever it is. You've seen that bumper sticker, my kid is an honor student. And you've seen the other one, right? My kid can beat up your honor student kid, all right? Now, what is that? You see, when our kids do well, we say, yeah, where'd they get those genes? They got them from me. Uh, when my boys messed up, I said, oh, they got that from Donna. You know, okay? Parents, you know, don't use your kid. Don't use your kids to try to boost your sense of self-worth. And, and if your sense of self-worth is tied up in your children, then if they really turn out well, you're going to feel really good about yourself and proud. If they really mess up, your sense of self-worth is going to take a real hit. Don't you see? That, that's not the reality. And you can have one of, one of both, can't you? You've seen the dad who, you know, I mean, he didn't have the athleticism to be a pro athlete. So what did he do? He pushed his kid to live out his own unfulfilled dream. Or a mom who doesn't feel talented or graceful or whatever, who sends their daughter to dance class not so much to make them feel better, but to make us feel better. You see, we parents, we can be deceived. We can be deceived to believe that we're going to find fulfillment, that we're going to find our true identity through our children. Now, you know, we, we want a lot of parents, they want, them to be rich, they want their kids to be rich and famous. Why? So then they can take some of the credit. Hey, I paid good money for that uh, private batting coach for my my son i mean he was in t-ball he needed that you know it's very very important and then their dance lessons and braces and tutors and the car that we give them when they turn 16 and the student loans and how many hundreds of thousands of dollars is that now should we love our kids and want them to be successful of course of course we should but when we believe the lie that their worth and our worth will come from what they accomplish, we lose our true identity. Earthly accomplishments don't mean much for long. They don't mean much for long. Our eternal identity does. I am not what I accomplish. 
Second, we humans are tempted to find our identity and worth by what we have. My parents never made a big salary at all. But they had a goal to get us three children, my sister, my brother, me. Their goal was to get us through college with no student loans. And they did it. Now, the bad news for me was one of the ways they did it was I didn't get a car. In fact, I didn't get a car until I was a senior in college. And then I had a job that I could pay for my college and my car. Now, I, the, uh, the point of this is not when your kids should get a car, okay? Here's, here's the point, okay? When my friends in high school started getting their car, a car, excuse me, and then in college, same thing, you know, one by one, my friends all got cars. I felt like a loser. I fell into the trap of feeling that my worth as a person was whether I had a car or not. It doesn't last. Remember your first car? Probably. <laughs> I bet your sense of self-worth soared, all right? For how long? Till your friend got a new car, all right? And see, it's so easy for us to define our worth by things. We get a nice car and we put our little hiney on that new leather seat and we turn the radio on real loud because we want everybody else to hear it and we put on our expensive shades and we're cruising down the street. Look at me, look at me. I'm cool, I'm cool. I'm up to eyeballs in debt, but I'm cool, all right? Yeah, things do that for us. Uh, for others, it's not a car, it's clothes. Man, I've got to get some cool clothes. I've got to get the right brand, all right? Right athletic shoes. Not, not this Dollar General stuff that I'm wearing, okay? Others of us are embarrassed with where we live. Oh, man, we've got to get into the right neighborhood. See, you know, we should be honest enough to look at ourselves, to, to realize... Every one of us were tempted to seek our identity and worth and what we have. And we spend hundreds and thousands of dollars going after things that can't satisfy us and won't fulfill us and are not who we really are forever and ever. Jesus said it this way in Luke 12. Watch out. Watch out. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions, the things. Third, you may not know it, but you're tempted to try to find your identity and worth and what we think others think about us. Okay? Now, we... See, we don't really know what others think about us. We know what we think they think about us, right? And, and as I often say, if you're worried about what you think someone else thinks about you, you don't need to worry. They're not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. But we are hard. We're, we're really, that's power, that's a powerful emotion and temptation. 
Fourth, we're tempted to try to find our identity and uh, worth in what we do. And I'll just, you know, again, a personal example for me, okay? Okay, I preach. And after the sermon, somebody says, uh, Ron, you know, your sermon really got me thinking uh, about how great God is or what God is doing in my life. And, oh, man, when somebody says something like that, I just, you know, I just feel so good. But if I preach and somebody says, Ron, you must have had a tough week. You know, how do I feel like a failure? When you believe your worth comes from what you do, one of the downsides is then you're going to try to do too much to prove yourself. You're going to do more than you should. You're going to do then more, more than God wants you to do. For the wrong motive, see? And now you'll just get overwhelmed. And what does Jesus say to, to those of us who fall into that kind of trap in Matthew 11? He says, listen, followers, friends, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, take my yoke upon you. That doesn't sound very pleasant. Oh, great. We get this big yoke on our back. Hey, we already got it on our back. It's the responsibilities and pressures and, and so forth. What does Jesus say? He's saying, take my yoke upon you. He says, I'm in. I'm gonna, I want to be in it with you. I, wanna, I want you to follow me, and I will enable you to carry burdens you can't carry yourself. I'm gentle. I'm not going to roughshod you, browbeat you. I'm humble. I want you to be too. And you will find what? Rest for your soul. Amer we Americans, we don't know what rest is. We American parents were saying, I got to do this, I got to do that. I got to get the kids soccer, dance, ballet, karate. We've got a tournament Sunday. Won't be able to go to church. Oh, oh man. Workers, they're saying, I got this project at work. I, and, and then I got to go home because I mean, I got the house and the yard and we've got things we should do, but we're just so overwhelmed, so much to do. Jesus doesn't want us overwhelmed. Take my yoke upon you, find rest. He says if we accept him as our Savior and Lord, and then we're yoked with him and he'll carry the burdens we can't carry alone. We'll do our life journey with Jesus who has no limit to his power and no limit to his love. And we'll follow him today and every day and all the way to heaven, and that's what life should be. Friend, you are not what you have done. You are not what you're doing now. You are not what you will do in the future. You are who? You are who God says you are. You are who your creator says you are. We're not what we accomplish. We're not what we accumulate. We're not what others think of us. We are who God says we are. You see, that's our true identity. What is our true identity according to our creator? <laughs> hey, he made us. He knows. What is our true identity? 
and you know, again, most of, uh, as adults, uh, a lot of us try to find that in our occupation. You know, we we'd say that's our identity. You know, I'm a carpenter. I'm a banker. I'm a lawyer. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm an executive assistant. No, no. That's what you do. That's what you're doing right now. That's not who you are and will be forever. If you're following Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are a child of God. I mean, does anybody ever ask you, who are you? And you say, oh, I'm a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ. That's who you really are. That's your real identity, your true identity. Now, am I saying it is not important what you do? Of course not. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works. All right. Now, most Christians know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourself, not by works, not by anything you do. It's the gift of God. You need to learn uh, Ephesians 2, 10. All right? We are not saved by our good works. You can't do enough good works to save you. We're not. We're saved by grace. We're not saved by our good works, as many people believe. But we are saved to do good works, God's Word says. God wants you doing good things, great things, great things that matter forever. Okay, so how do we do those good things? Let me talk about two things this morning, all right? First, the do's and the don'ts. Let's talk about the do's and the don'ts. Jesus tells us that there are things we should do. And he tells us there are things we shouldn't do. Hey, that. That's a pretty good rule. You know, we live in this culture where, okay, what's right and what's wrong? Well, everybody has a different opinion on that. Was it the majority? Well, the majority changes their opinion. And what one country says right, another country says wrong. What's right and what's wrong? What should I do and what shouldn't I do? God gave you the manufacturer's manual right here. He doesn't want you stressing trying to figure out what's right, what's good. He guides you. He tells you. He reveals. Jesus tells us. God's Word tells us. There are things we should do and things we shouldn't do. That's the first thing. Jesus said something else. He said, I only do, when he lived on this earth, he said, I only do what I see my Father doing. In other words, Jesus didn't fall into the identity trap. He's he said, I'm not trying to prove anything to anybody or to myself. I only do what God tells me to do. And Jesus said something else in John chapter 17. This is the night before he's crucified. I mean, he's getting down to the real deal here. And what's he say? He says, this uh, astounds me. I have finished the work. God gave me to do. I have finished the work 
God gave me to do. Have you ever had a job and you had a, a, a day where you just really had to do some important things and you got those done and you felt really good about them? Now, how did you feel that night? How did you feel going home? How did you feel? I have finished the work. I, had to, I felt that one day. One day. Uh, it was a long time ago, but I felt it once. What a wonderful feeling. I, what amazes me is Jesus says, I have finished the work God gave me to do. And he died when he was 33. How in the world... Could he do everything he was supposed to do? Friend, the key to finishing the work that God gave you to do is to not waste your time on the things God didn't give you to do. Do you know the problem of having too much to do? You squeeze out what God says you should. How many of you have a to-do list? Okay. I've got one on my computer. I need it. My memory's failing. All right? I need a to-do list. All right. And, I, and you know, most people who accomplish a lot or want to live a worthwhile life or whatever, I mean, they got a to-do list. They have it written down somewhere. Let me ask you another question. How many of you have a to don't list. That's one of the problems. That's one of the problems that we have. A to don't list. In James chapter 4, God says to us, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city, we'll spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Why? You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. You don't know. Only God knows. You know who knows what you should do and what you shouldn't do? God. Because he knows tomorrow. You don't. What's your life? It says it's like a mist, a mist that appears for a little while, just a few minutes in the morning usually, and then it's gone. You'll live on this earth for 78.8 years all right, on average, but what is that compared to living forever and ever and ever with God or separated from God? It's nothing. It's a mist. How do we do the things God created us to do? Just to have a to-do list. Let's have a to-don't list because the to-don'ts will keep you from doing the to-dos. Second thing, let's talk about the when and the then. Now, what's that? I got this idea from somebody else, but this, I think this is amazing. Uh, you probably know, most of you probably know the story in Luke chapter 10. It's a story where two sisters, Mary and Martha, uh, invite Jesus over. They're going to have a Jesus dinner party. And Jesus was the guest of honor, okay? And in that day, I mean, uh, inviting someone over to your house in the evening, a dinner party, 
that was entertainment. They didn't have TVs. They didn't have sporting events. That was entertainment. The whole town would show up. People who were invited got to go in. Everybody else who wasn't invited just hung around the house and looked anyway, all right? I mean, this was a big deal. So they have, they're having a, 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 a Jesus dinner party. Now, they worked, I'm sure they worked for days, okay? They had to start, you know, baking and everything that morning because it took all day in an open fire. So they worked. They worked really, really hard. Now, then Jesus showed up, you know, 6 o'clock or whatever time it was. And when Jesus showed up, one of those sisters, Mary, she stopped working. Well, the work wasn't finished. What did she do? She went to be with Jesus. She went to spend her time with him. Now, meanwhile, <laughs> back in the kitchen, Martha was doing what many of us, most of us, would be doing. Working hard. Working hard to make sure that everything was right. Everything looked right, everything smelled right, everything tasted right. Working hard to impress the other guests. That's what she was doing. And getting ticked off at Mary that she wasn't helping, right? And Martha was so ticked. She was so upset. She went to Jesus. She said, Jesus, you need to tell my sister, listening to you here, talking to you right here, you need to tell her to get back in the kitchen. And what did Jesus say to her? Martha, you're upset. You're stressed. You're overwhelmed. You're worried. You're all consumed with not the most important thing, but the little things. Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken away from her. See, and see, I, there, I, I see myself, I find myself doing this. When, I, when it's all about getting the least important stuff done, then I won't do the most important stuff. That's the problem with that game plan. The least important things will keep us from the most important things. The least important things will keep us from the most important things. That's why we need a to-do list. And that's why we need a when and then realization. Because we as humans say things like this. Well, <clears throat> when we get uh, established financially, you know, when we are well off and we bought the house and bought the cars and God, when we are well off financially, okay, then we'll spend more time with each other. Then we'll spend more time with our kids. Uh, some, then we'll start going to church. 
Uh, then we'll get involved. Then we'll start serving. When we get a nicer house, then uh, we'll, host, uh, we'll host people in our house. We'll host a small group. And we'll invite our neighbors, and hopefully some of them will come to know Jesus when we get a nicer house. When life gets less hectic, I mean, it's just crazy now. I mean, when it gets less hectic. Now, when is that going to be? When life gets less hectic, you know, then we'll start serving. We'll start doing those things that we said we really would like to do. When we get this and this paid off, then we'll start, you know, being generous. You know, we'll, we'll give to God uh, tithes and offerings. We'll give to needy people. When we get this and this and this paid off, then we'll start doing that. What's the problem with a when, then? The then never comes. The then never comes. I visit a lot of people in the hospital on, uh, on their deathbed. You know, no one ever said to me, Pastor, when you come visit me, would, would you bring my bank account statement? I just want to check it one more time. Would you bring... I have some degrees hanging in my office. Would you, would you bring those to me? No, what do they say? What, what, do, what do they want? They want their family. And they want to know if they're right with God. If God is going to let them into his heaven. That's what they want to know. And so the question is, today. See, and that day comes for all of us question are we consumed with things that don't matter forever are we committed to the things that do now the answer to that question really is is very very simple you just look at your calendar you look at you look at uh, your schedule for the day and the week and what are God things? What are, what are the things that really are about your eternal soul versus what are the things that are about this life only? So you look at your day timer, you look at your calendar, you look at your schedule, you look at your finances. You know, well, am I generous? Am I giving to God? Am I giving to people uh, in need? I mean, it's, it's really pretty simple to be able to answer that question. Are we consumed with things that don't matter forever or committed to things that do? It, Alliance here, uh, one of our core values is taking the next step. Because, you know, the Bible talks about hearing the word but doing, doing nothing about it, okay? When we hear God's word, when God speaks to us, there should be a step. There should be a next step. What's the next thing God wants me to do? For some of you, and let me just, one suggestion, all right, but what well, could be comprehensive. What's on your to-do list? What is that next thing that you, be you believe it would really please God? It would really help you grow as a Christian. It would help you love others, your family, your uh, whoever. What's, what's on the to-do list? just as important, maybe, not, maybe even more important. 
what are you going to put on your to-don't list? Because, see, your schedule is, if, if I suggest to you that you do something new, you're probably going to say, I don't have time. Why is that? Because it's full of things that, some of which we should take off. Because they'll keep us from the most important things of all. You are not what you do. You are not what you accomplish. You are not what you accumulate. You are not what others think, who you think others think you are. You are created by a loving God who says, if you follow my son, to all who received him, he, to them he gives the right to become the children of God. If you're following Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, a real child of God that he will never forsake. You are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ who is the only one who can lead anyone through the gates of heaven because he paid the price to take you there. That's who you are. Shall we pray? Father, <clears throat> please shatter the lies, the myths that we believe about ourselves, about life. Shatter those lies with the truth that you have revealed in your word. Oh God, just do that in our lives because we want to live lives that please you and that have eternal value. Friend, while your head's bowed, if you believe I am what I do because most Americans do, don't be a slave to that anymore. Let Jesus set you free. You're not who others say you are. You are, not, you are who your creator says you are. And your Jesus Christ says, walk with me, journey with me, take my yoke upon you because I'll lift the burdens. I'll do what you can't do. I'll lead you all the way to your heavenly home. Do that today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your eternal plan. Thank you that you want us living with you forever and ever. And it's all possible because of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. We come to.